beautiful, immutable, what you do to my heart. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $1,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $2,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Adventures in Angular. Ready to master Angular? Oasis Digital offers Angular Bootcamp, a three-day in-person workshop class for individuals or teams. Bring us to your site or send the developers to our classes in St. Louis or San Francisco, angularbootcamp.com. This episode is sponsored by Telerik, the makers of Kendo UI. Kendo UI integrates seamlessly with both AngularJS 1.x and 2.0. It provides everything you need to integrate with AngularJS out of the box, bindings, component configuration directives, template directives, form validation event handlers, and much more. And yet, Kendo UI tooling does not depend on AngularJS, so if you want to use it with Angular or not, that's totally up to you. You can check it out at kendoui.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 103 of the Adventures in Angular show. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames. Yo, 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 everybody. Lucas Rubelke. I'll let you boy. Ward Bell. I hope you're all feeling it today, because I am ready for Freddy. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Angular Remote Comp is coming up in September, so go check it out. This week, we are going to go over a topic that was submitted through our topic suggestions form. If you go to adventuresinangular.com and you click on the uh, suggest a topic, you can put your own in here. But I wanted to get reactions from the panel and just discuss this because I, I think it's interesting. And Lucas reacted to it over email, so I know that we've got something here. Uh, but anyway, let me just start reading this. Uh, it's about five paragraphs, and uh, it says, I know you've discussed a couple of times about how hard it is to set up Angular 2 Project. Whilst most of this has nothing to do with Angular itself, it's still the barrier to entry. There's no point in saying how much easier Angular 2 is than Angular 1 if you can't get it running. Even though I've heard your previous discussions on this, in reality, I was totally unprepared as to how difficult it was when I had to do it myself recently. Even the Angular 2 five-minute quick start took me a day to get my head around. And then he says, I'm delighted to hear the Angular team was coming up with Angular CLI. Get the mechanics out of the way and lower the barrier to entry. So I typed ng new my app. Oh, looking at the properties of the directory, I saw the size was 161 megabytes, contains 40,531 files, 7,226 folders. Has the JavaScript <laughs> world gone completely mad? Is this really acceptable? 40,000 plus files before I write my first line of code? Okay. Where, where did the 40,000 come from? I did. All right. We're, we're not even answering this yet. Okay, good, good, good. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So, Angular CLI has created all this stuff for me. But I still have to understand what it's about, or how will I maintain it and keep it up to date? What happens if there's an incompatibility in one of the libraries used? There's a little more here, but let's just start there. Wow. So there's a lot of interesting bullet points in there, and truth and myth. Here we go. Okay. So truth or myth? Well, first and foremost, let me just start off by saying that if I say anything sarcastic over the course of this episode, I definitely do, want do to... Do you know what sarcasm is, Lucas? No. But I just want to apologize, like, you know, beforehand is I, I think that, you know, I think this is coming from, you know, I appreciate, you know, the email and I definitely have opinions about it, but definitely I want to be sensitive to developers who are in this, you know, kind of the situation and, um, you know, not be flippant or cavalier about it. Because I, I definitely think there is a group of people that kind of where we are now is, is very kind of new and alarming and, and frustrating. And, and I get that. So with that said, I think the first thing we have to attack is, you know, what is kind of the general, you know, point here, or rather, you know, when he says he runs, you know, ng start or ng you know, create, and you know, there's like forty five thousand files, like, well, where is that actually coming from? And so the majority of that is like, let's say forty five thousand nine hundred and fifty of those are in 
you know, the node modules. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, as well as, you know, the majority of that is also in the node modules. And so there's actually outside of that, there's very little, you know, that the CLI is doing that you actually will directly work with. Um, So the next question, you know, really for me is, well, what do we get for 45 plus thousand files? And I think this is really kind of the crux of the discussion is, well, you know, first and foremost, you get generators. So now you can just from a command line, you can generate or scaffold out your application. You get a test runner. So Karma, end-to-end test runner. Uh, You get a server with live reload, the ability to produce a production build to run basically a linter on your code and the ability to compile your TypeScript and deploy to GitHub for free. And so, you know, in that sense is it's really, really easy now basically for free to do all of these really important things that produce high quality apps that are going to, you know, behave reliably and kind of stand the test of time. So really the question, I think, for me, when when I read this, is what is the solution to this? Does somebody, you know, are they saying that they do not want a test runner? That they do not, you know, that they don't want to run a linter against their code? Or, you know, have deployment options, etc. And, you know, I think that's really kind of, you know, the core of the matters. In what scenario are tests not important? Is code quality, you know, not important? You know, being able to to do production builds not important, etc. And you know, I think that's where we're, you know, three to five years ago, these things were not really that important. I think a lot of, you know, like jQuery, you know, JavaScript developers were not doing like those kind of things. Where now, because JavaScript is evolving, like code quality, deployment builds, you know, testing, these different things, like they have to be front and center if we're building large applications. And so, I mean, that's kind of my question is like, when are these things not important? When would you not want to have these, you know, these test runners and these servers and and these different options? Okay. So Lucas, I got to respond to what you said, which is I hate everything that you said. (laughs) (laughs) And I love you. So you're obviously taking the position that you're completely defending this whole entire point, his, his whole entire you're, or you're taking the opposite approach. Like this guy's up in the night. This is necessary. We need all this. We well, need those forty thousand files. We need those hundred and sixty-one megabytes for a starter Angular two project. We need it all because look at all the features. Look at all the all the gloss we get. We got under we got wax un, undercoating on our car. You can't go drive off the lot without that, right? I've got the low profile tires. Which feature do I not want? That's what you're. That's what I hear you saying. Um, I think you, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's not like I was saying, but it, it also, I will do, I will put this out here just to be fair. And as Ward likes to say, you know, I, I think intellectually honest or intellectual integrity that I did go and write an Angular 2 application in ES5 without any of these bells and whistles. And I hope to that we actually get an opportunity to talk about that as well. So I want to know if, how many times you had to take like some kind of antidepressant while doing that in order to keep yourself like alive. That's going to be that's going to be a great great show. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I want to step back a little bit again and try and get into the head of the person who's writing this because I think that person represents something valuable, a perspective that's valuable to us. So everything that that Lucas said, I think, is true. The problem is, might be, that Lucas knows that those are the values that are there, that those are the things that are there. But if you reel your mind back to your first encounter with client-side programming, if you knew almost nothing about it, you wouldn't know that what any of that stuff was that you had. You wouldn't know what the purpose, what purpose it served. It would just be 45,000 files that you had no idea what they were for. And this, as far as I know, the CLI doesn't actually have any documentation yet that would guide you to understanding what it is that you just got when you ran that command. You just sort of followed some instructions and out this came. And I remember that experience with a Yeoman generator once where I got some 70,000 files and I just said, I got to walk away from this. This is madness. You, right? 
It's only after you have some sense of what this CLI is trying to accomplish and where, which parts you have to pay attention to and which you don't that you begin to feel more relaxed about having all those files. Well, uh, you're talking about like the nitty-gritties of how many files there are and how big it is, right? But that's, that's not really the point of this whole post, really. We're, we're going into – I mean, I was even saying – you know, I'm taking this opposite approach. We don't need this. We don't need every little feature. I like every little feature, right? I want the wax undercoating, and I want leather seats, and I want the low-profile tires. I like my tests. I like my builds. I like all of that. But I think the real point of this post is something we've seen well repeated for the last year and a half, two years, which is front-end web development is a dumpster fire. <laughs> and that's the point of the post. Yeah, he's saying that, but he th- really where that comes from is that he has absolutely no idea what to expect and has completely forgotten about the environment from which he came. Now, what's so the, if what's he the expected key to a lot of heat and a horrible smell, then he'd be happy. Oh, no, that's no, what come he's on. Getting. That's, what, no, that's no. what we have. We have a ton of heat. We have a whole horrible. Sm- it's a dumpster fire. Let's take a you can't package up the dumpster fire and say it's uh, fine. I it's a let's, take, let's take that note. One of the Locus's key points there is that in, an enormous percentage of the files that he's talking about are in node modules. Now, all of us know that to be true, and all of us pay almost zero attention to the node. We see node underscore modules, and we don't even open it. I mean, we, we look into it when we need to, but for the most part, we say, okay, yeah, 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 because what do we know? that this person and most people don't know. We know that most of node modules will never show up in your application. We know that most of node modules you never have to look in. You're just going to, you know, something is going to reference something in there, but it's just, a, you know, it's just there. And it's not going to hurt you. And it's part of the what we expect with client-side development. Now we could say, well, why should we expect that? Hey, last time I was in any of the other environments, let's take .NET, for example, and I opened up, do, do I go in there and look at the references? Do I see how many DLLs are in there? Do I see how deep they are and what they contain, or do I know what they do? No, I don't. But I've gotten used to the idea that I don't have to know because I know that references don't matter for my day-to-day activity. They're just there. I guess my point is that until you're conditioned to know what's important and what's not, it all looks scary. That what we're not doing is pre- uh, adequately is preparing people for the experience of client-side development. And until there are enough people who can hold each other's hands and get us through it, we're going to have this reaction. Well, So one okay. thing that I'm looking at this- here, because what I'm hearing is if it's in node modules, you can basically ignore it because that's kind of a side product of the process. And, and so every, everybody kind of gets that. And so that's that's kind of the way it is. But my thing is, is like, okay, so how do I know which parts I need to care about? Because ultimately what I want is I want a, I want a system that is relatively easy to use that will get my application up where somebody else can use it, right? So if the node modules are all kind of incidental to that because I'm going to put some build process on this and then I'm going to magically know which files to actually copy up to the web, there's still some disconnect here. Even if you say, okay, well, don't worry about node modules and don't worry about some of these other things because those are just going to make it nice for you to be able to do it the way you should do it. It's, okay, well, then what parts do I care about and how do I make that get me what I want? Absolutely, and we're not. We're, we're somehow either the we're not telling that story, or what we're seeing, which I do see, is uh, people don't really pay attention to the documentation. They just take the first couple of lines, they see what comes out, they throw up their hands and walk away. And you know that's a reaction. If you don't want to make any investment in client side development or any kind of development, you can you can you can have that reaction, or you can try and get you know a little guidance about what's going on. Uh, well, I'm not going to, by the way, justify everything that's in the node modules. Or, uh, uh, I mean, I have my critique of the CLI, but I, I stand by my position, which is that not that you won't ever look at what node modules is, but that's not the first place to look. Okay, well, but you're picking one specific piece, and this idea that node mod you learn that node modules is something you can safely ignore—that's a fallacy. 
That's not no, true. No, no. You cannot I, I said that's not the first place you look. You just know there's going to it's going to be a grab bag of stuff that you're going to need, that or and most of which is by the way is stuff that something that you need is going to need, right? So most of the we are, are usually only interested in the top level libraries that are sitting in node modules, not all of the things that they're built on. I mean, you know, at a certain point we all learn that node modules is all these details, source code, and all that stuff that runs deep, 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 and we're barely ever touching anything but the surface of it. Right. It's the part of the dumpster fire that's way in the back. It also happens to be well-stacked, but it's the part of the dumpster fire that so, is farthest away from what you're going to be dealing with. When you say dumpster fire, just so we're clear, because my inclination is I don't agree with you, but what do you mean when you say dumpster fire? Well, you know... Google dumpster fire, a, a, a dumpster that's on fire. That's what it is. It's a hot mess. It's it's just an absolute horrid front end <laughs> development is a, a web development is a absolute hot, horrible mess, and you cannot deal with it without getting stinky and burned. The right? only thing without worse, getting covered with gar- with crap. The only thing worse is writing in ASP.NET or writing in Java. Or writing in Ruby, or writing. Those are the only things that are worse. That's definitely not true. That's definitely yeah, not true. Definitely not true. .NET is. Oh, oh I, much did I did I did I gore somebody's ox here when I said Ruby? Maybe I don't know. Ruby is super is super slick. Those are those are so different, and there's a huge reason for that. Those things are, and I'm not saying that where we're at with web development is because there's a whole bunch of idiot lazy people in fact some of the tools that we've got for front-end web development are some of the most awesome and amazing and innovative tools that we've seen in a long time but net was able to be built up from the ground up all together ruby was you know it's just one big consistent piece and there's somebody in there thinking how do i put this all together and make this nice front-end web development is monkey patch on top of monkey it's monkey patches all the way down right this is Atlas. This is the story of Atlas, but it's not turtles. It's monkey patches all the way down to this crazy browser that was not meant for anything other than somebody to dis- to publish research documents and somebody else to be able to read them. That's what this is, and we're trying to build an application framework on top of it, and it is a hot mess. It's a dumpster fire, and we're, we're increasing the complexity necessarily so. It is by far the most successful platform out there. It is, it's becoming the only platform for, I don't know, the only platform, but maybe that's not fair, but it is becoming the de facto platform to write applications on. And mobile, of course, is just becoming the new can of gasoline being thrown into the dumpster fire. <laughs> Joe, I have to applaud your, your rhetorical flourishes today. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping with this uh, motif the whole show, keeping that- with this motif. And I'll be honest, I'm surprised of all people, Ward, that you're not on my side of this fence, right? It's horrid. It's absolutely horrid. Now, that being said, all the work that have been done by all these people that do any given piece has been amazing. And they are better people than I am, right? Absolutely better, smarter people than me. And Angular 2 is an amazing piece. Angular 1 is an amazing piece. But I got to tell you, I don't, I don't just know I don't know how many times I've had to RMRF my node modules and reinstall because yep. it couldn't yep. uninstall one stupid thing and reinstall the, next, the updated version of it. I, or just, I, just uninstall one thing. I right? hear you. I can't tell you how often I have to reboot my machine. And that has nothing to do with this development. There's all kinds of parts of technology that just drive me bats. There's plenty to annoy. My Mac and all, except for updates. In fact, my Windows PC, I haven't rebooted except for updates in a long time. Yeah, well, I booted my, rebooted mine three times today. Uh, consider the source. What are you putting on there? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so one thing that I am seeing this podcast—that's that, what. That's what. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one thing I am seeing here what, that Joe is saying is is definitely true for me. Is that as as I get into this and I try and figure out what is going on. I mean, there there are a ton of places to get stuck, and there are yeah. so many more things. At least it feels like going on. Than when I use some of these other systems that are more cohesive and sort of better laid out. But, I mean, the tools have gotten better and, well, yes, and more complex. But the thing that's interesting is that um, when I started doing web development about 10, 11 years ago, we were nowhere near the capability that we have now. But the flip side... 
But but at the flip side is is that because now we have all these extra capabilities, it's okay. Well, we need more tools to make it more simpler, and that that doesn't always seem to happen. Or at least they need to handle more cases, and so they get more complicated too. And yeah, so so I see where you're coming from, Joe. I really get what this guy's saying because even though I'm t- this is the whole of front end development, this isn't Angular 2's fault by any means. This is the whole of front end development. But when you look at the difference between Angular 1 and Angular 2, the complexity is uh, of just getting your head around all the different pieces that have to be in place. All, the number of moving parts is multiple orders of magnitude, at least an order of magnitude, if not a couple of orders of magnitude, maybe even three orders of magnitude in complexity. Angular 1 was much fewer moving pieces. And Angular 2 and all the things that have to do with it are so many more. I mean, I've had to become an expert in System.js. I don't even know what System.js was 18 months ago. Never even heard of it, right? And I've had to become an expert in System.js in order to do Angular 2, right? It's just there's so many pieces. Webpack. you got to become an expert in Webpack. You can't just throw in a little bit of Webpack. you got to know Webpack, right? you got to understand it. you got to be able to diagnose it and debug it. All these pieces, I would say the one piece that I think is actually fairly well built. Not necessarily. Sorry, let me take that back. They're all really well built. The one piece that I think actually has really nice boundaries you don't have to dig in quite so much is Karma. Karma is great. But everything else that I deal with when it comes to an Angular 2 project, you got to dig in. You can't just take the abstraction at its face value today. You just can't do that. I think that's the nature of this complaint, and I resonate with that. At the same time, I think that when you look at what we were doing let's say, six, seven years ago, and the level of complexity in which JavaScript existed. The majority of it was a lot of you know, small, very specific things in the browser using jQuery. That was certainly my introduction, you know, really, to the JavaScript world. And I think it's unfair to take that as a context, and then we look at what we're doing now. So with you know, JavaScript on the server side with, you know, doing hybrid mobile apps with JavaScript, with doing, you know, full-on desktop applications and Electron to insanely complex, full-on, non-trivial line-of-business web applications in JavaScript to not expect the power and the capabilities of what we're doing in JavaScript to increase and not have a proportional increase of complexity in the tools that we're using. In fact, I would say it's actually to the, it's not proportionate, but rather it's, it's fractional in the sense of, I think we have gotten thousand times more power in JavaScript in terms of what we can do and the platforms we can target with a fraction of the complexity increase. Yes, it's, it's more complex. We have more moving pieces, but at the same time, we can do so much more and to not expect that to increase by some level of complexity, I just think is not fair. Well, I, that, I, I agree with your point, but I disagree with your subjective evaluation as to how much the complexity has gotten up versus how much our capabilities has gone up. I mean, yeah, if you're comparing it to when all I did was do some validation on the client side, yeah, now my capabilities have gone up, you know, hundredfold. Although, again, to be honest, let's go back to just ASP. P.NET version 1 with its server-side rendering on every page and what the creator of Rails, um, what's his name? David Heinemeier DHH. There we go. DHH. His point, which I completely disagree with him, and I think that he's he's the, the Trump of the uh, front-end world <laughs> in some cases. <laughs> I'm not even sure for whether that's a compliment or a criticism. But... You, you I might be able to, to get him on the show with that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, TDD is dead, and and him pushing that server side rendering is the way to go. I think it's just it's a it's Trump lines is what that is. He's, he's either Trump stole from him because he was first, or he stole from the future Trump. He traveled into the future and came back. <laughs> think those things, right? But uh, server side rendering could produce apps as complex as we're building now, right? But it just the user experience sucks. So we've refined our user experience. So I want to go back to that, your point about jQuery, right? Back long ago, we just did these little bits of jQuery. And then somebody tried to write an app all, and the only front-end technology they used is jQuery, which actually is the most common front-end right now. 
Right now, the most common front end is just a whole bunch of jQuery. And when the first time somebody did that, it was the first time that a dumpster was lit on fire, right? That was a horrid, horrid mess trying to maintain a lot of code in jQuery. And then tools like um, Knockout came along and Angular 1 and these other things, and they wrapped up all the garbage into a nice, neat framework. And then we were able to build these really powerful apps with a minimum increase in complexity. I think that's the point where I agree with you, Lucas. It was a moderate increase in complexity. You had to understand a little bit more about Angular and about the way that the web worked in order to do Angular instead of just jQuery, and you had a ton more capability, you could build a ton faster. But I think if you take go from Angular 1 to the whole React Angular 2 cycle, whatever, uh, Ember world, that, I don't know about Ember, maybe I, I might be wrong about that, but the increase in complexity is many-fold, and yet the increase in capability is marginal. Okay, so I, I want to sure. just uh, hit this really quickly then. Are we going to see something nice come along and wrap up some of the... No garbage that makes this unpleasantness unpleasant? I think that's already... Here's what I don't like. uh, I mean, let me try and recast it again. Um, The person (laughs) said... The the premise was that it is difficult to get set up to develop in Angular. That doesn't have to be true. Take the the five-minute quick start, which is not five minutes if you read every little word and try and understand every aspect of what got delivered. He said it was... Getting his head around it took a day. Exactly. But you don't, what if you don't, but that isn't what the question is. The question is, uh, how do I get set up to start doing things? And that can be well under five minutes, especially if you just sort of download the repo, uh, go NPM start and go, because we have a quick start repo. So if you decide, if you decide you need to know every moving part from day one, this is going to, that's going to be a hard slog. But if your goal is to say, wow, yeah, I, I realize that there are a lot of artifacts. There are a lot of artifacts produced by the CLI. There are many fewer, but still an awful lot of artifacts produced by following the quick start. So if you need to know what every artifact is, you right from the beginning when you know nothing about front-end development, you're in trouble. But if you instead take the position of, I really would like to start doing something and be productive and build things, then I think that you can do that very quickly in Angular 2 if you just accept some of the artifacts you get from either of those two paths. And that's my real point. Yeah, so let me chime in on this because I started a project a couple weeks ago and I've kind of been talking to people about Angular 2 and I looked at the docs, but I hadn't really dove in that deep because... It was still in beta, and, you know, I did a few things for the podcast, but that was way before CLI. And so I went through the quick start a couple weeks ago, and I was just like, you know what, let me just build something. Because I just, I just felt like building something, and I thought, okay, well, I'll do it in Angular 2. And so when I started it, I went along, and I followed the tutorial. I, the, the quick start uh, got me part the way the where, to where I wanted to go. And then I just kind of scanned through the Tour of Heroes tutorial until I found the bits that I wanted. And then I just ran the CLI code. And then I started writing Angular 2. And, you know, I got a ways down the road to where I wanted to be. And the thing that I found was that, yes, there was a lot going on that I really didn't understand. And I just wanted to make crap work. So I wasn't interested in figuring out how it worked. All I cared about was that when I ran npm start, it fired up the web server, and when I changed a file, it updated my page, and it did all that perfectly well. So, you know, there's a question in here that says, basically, has it become out of reach for hobbyists, or is it the exclusive property of experts and full-time uh, client-side developers only? And I have to say no. I mean, if you if you really want to dig in on this and say, okay, well, how is it building, and how is it launching and how is it putting this in the browser and how is it doing all the TypeScript stuff, then yeah, I mean, there are definitely things there that you have to understand. But uh, for me, just having something up where it reloads the index.html and uh, I was writing purely front-end code and I just wanted something to work. I mean, Angular was pretty darn easy once I got that far. And You're talking Angular 1 or 2 here. Angular 2. And let me, let me jump in here, if you don't mind, Chuck. Yeah. Is so just to be fair, and this was really the point that really kind of stopped and, and it really made me think of like where is this individual coming from? Is you know, that very thing of has Angular two become out of the reach for hobbyists or is it exclusive property of experts and full time client side developers only? So what I did is I said, let's just strip away 
all the bells and whistles. And I'm going to do an Angular 2 application in just ES5. Now, because I've done Angular 1 for, for so long and have a solid grasp of an Angular 2, I think that the context is a little bit skewed slightly. I but don't think I, so, uh, Lucas, because um, I'm getting the impression from this and the way that the question was framed, uh, what has to happen before Angular 2 apps are as easy as Angular 1 apps, or at least easy to start anyway, is Angular 1 apps. I think the person asking the question is familiar with Angular 1. Right. So with that said, is I went and I wrote an Angular 2 app in ES5, and I found it to actually be really comparable to writing an Angular 1 app in ES5 as well. So, you know, you still have to manage your imports manually within your index.html, but it was a lot of the same wiring up to the point where I'm almost like, this is actually almost easier than writing just an Angular 1 app in ES5. And so, really, to be honest, I think it's about the same. Um, you can read about it on my blog, hungrymind.com, and I kind of basically converted a TypeScript app in ES5, and it really, truly was not that bad. Okay, that so I want to say something here. First off, Lucas's blog posts are always top-notch, so if you have any free time at all, you should absolutely go and read this. Right? I'm waiting for the butt. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, well, all right, there is a butt here, but... <laughs> Unless you yeah, care to stick your to head Woo! into the dumpster fire, there's no reason for anybody to learn how to do Angular 2 and ES5 because it it's, doesn't translate. Like, what it doesn't help really you. Do. Yeah, you're not going to be doing it in ES5. I love Nobody that post, too. I love the post, too. But I, I love that post as an aficionado who was kind of curious about how to do it that way. And that's why yeah. And and so it succeeds on, you know, like that's how do I want to brew my own beer with um, right. cardboard tubing. It's kind of I'm kind of curious about that, but I think I'd rather just drink it. But I mean, it was really crisp and clear, Lucas, and I applaud you for it. I, I just don't think that's I don't think you would say. And so the conclusion of this post is you should go out and write your app in ES5. You weren't suggesting right. that, were you? And let's, and let's be clear. I wouldn't even write my Angular 1 apps. Right. ES5. So every all the Angular 2 develop or Angular 1 development that I do is in ES6 in an Angular 2 style. And so like because there's so many advantages to doing that, but you don't want the complexity, the mental overhead of having to deal with some of these tools. So for instance, you know, ES6, a lot of advantages, but you have to have a transpiler and a package manager and a module loader. It, it's just the way it is because the browser. Well, you, know what you know what isn't? You know what's the dead simplest way to get a feel for what really Angular 2 is about is to use one of the Angular 2 plunkers. Yeah, absolutely. Because it just reaches out on the web. In other words, if you don't have to think about build, test, or any or any kind of support tools or anything like that, you just want to get as close to what's really Angular 2 as you want to and see what's really involved as opposed to all the peripheral stuff. Go into the docs, fire up one of the plunkers from there. We're looking at any that isn't plunkers. broken as well. Like uh, none of the do none of those are not a single um, one of the documents. Not, not the one on Angular.io. I'm talking about just like on a bigger scale. This is it's just yet one plunker is just yet one more moving piece. Y yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about somebody who is curious about what it means to develop an Angular two without all of the distractions of what it would take to build, test, maintain worry about performance, all that other stuff, which, let's face it, when you're trying to learn a new framework, that is peripheral stuff. So two things that I'm, I want to just chime in here with. The first one is is that I basically heard Lucas say, you can build it all in ES5, ES5 but I prefer to walk at least partway into Joe's dumpster fire because he's using ES6. <laughs> the minute right. you step in a browser, you're in a dumpster fire. Let's, right. like, let's be honest. The reason why we're in the state we're in right now, the majority of it, it's because browsers are so right. We're in transition. Bad. I mean, that's it. Is we yeah. we have to. I can't tell you how many large line of business apps have been basically compromised because we've had to support a legacy browser. Yep. Yep. Okay. The second well, thing that you're was, saying legacy. That's totally not the litmus test here. Any browser. It doesn't have to be a legacy <laughs> browser. The current... ninety nine percent of all browsers are legacy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, second, I would say 100% of all browsers are legacy by that <laughs> definition. Any yeah. browser. Today's Chrome, the Chrome that's up today is a dumpster fire. And it's not Chrome's fault. 
It's the underlying technology. It's the uh, fact that it's monkey so, so passes Joe, all the way what down. What are we supposed to do with your thesis? Um, oh, nothing. I'm just bitching. Oh, man. Because uh, I'm figuring, like, I'm supposed there's to go no split the wrist, or, wrist or something. Okay. Uh, I think, I think we there's got there's to understanding the to be have it had here, and that is I disagree that there's, this is the domain of hobbyists. Yes, you can do Angular 2 as a hobbyist, as a full-stack developer, but you, if you're going to do anything over a few thousand lines of code, 10, maybe 15,000 lines of code, you'd better better have an expert on your team or have easy access to an expert or be willing to dig in and become an expert in all these ancillary technologies because I think that's long gone is the day language every platform well, i don't believe no. that, that, that no, there no. is a Absolutely. serious application development environment that, that that is suitable for hobbyists well, yeah, but i'm not, not talking like excel. hobbyists i'm not talking hobbyists like i this isn't my day job i mean like i'm a full stack developer and what i really do is ruby but i have to do some front end stuff right we're on the front end too i just want to have a nice gentle introduction and over time i'm going to learn more and get more into it but that is not true today. If I'm a Ruby dev and I'm going to put an Angular 2 front end, I better become I'm going to have to spend a month coming up to date and become an expert in Angular. If I'm uh, all alone and building a I big have proof points to contradict you, but that's okay. All right. So, I think this is really the heart of the issue though, is that a lot of this setup is is set up so that you can write an Angular 2 app in TypeScript with all of the nice bells and whistles and have it run in the current browser situation that we're in now. And I, I think I think that's really what it boils down to. You know, the plunkers, that's all nice, but the question was about getting a new Angular 2 app started. And so, yeah, you have to do all of this setup in order to make Angular 2 run in the current browser system. And no, I, no, it, no. We haven't even touched on getting it out to production, so which is yet another dumpster fire. This is where <laughs> I have to draw the line, is the Angular CLI does that all for free. Right. Like, you don't have to do any of that. But now it's like, oh... Like, I don't want to actually have to do anything to get up and running. Okay, here's the Angular CLI. And then it's like, oh, wait a second. You're going to do this all for me? But I'm sorry that, you know, you basically had to, you know, this is what you had to do to give me all these free things. And that's where I think, one, or we're going to write any code, but we're not going to have to do anything and we're not going to have to make any investment. I think completely, like, marginalizes, like, what it is that we do when we write code. And I think you have to understand, like, programming is hard. It's, you know, it is a learned skill, but in order to be effective, especially in the context of browsers, aka dumpster fires, you're going to have to pay a price to do that reliably. And this is not like .NET or Java where, you know, they have the luxury of controlling their runtime. When you write Java, you're targeting a JVM that they can control, and that's why you have a more consistent experience. We are building something to or targeting something that was never even intended to do this. And I think when you accept that, like we are building something that really was never intended to be, and we're doing a pretty amazing job building a lot of really incredible things, I think you have to accept like there's going to be compromises, there's going to be complexity, and you are going to have to invest and pay the toll to to get to that endpoint. Absolutely. Okay. There's a term for that. It's called Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let, let me ask this other oh, question, Joe. okay? Because because I, I think I think at this point we just have different points of view on on the situation. But what I'm curious about then is as browsers continue to implement more ES6 or ES 2015, 2016, 2017 features, and we start moving away from the ES5. Uh, build target, and we have more of these capabilities in the browser. Does this get better, or are we no, still not moving? Appreciably. Not appreciably. Or are we still mo- are we still building for multiple environments? Is what I'm. It doesn't even it doesn't even matter. We're still gonna even if we, we have to have a build now. Right. Even if we were if we were talking uh, targeting only one browser, and it was a perfect ES6 browser, most of what this person is complaining about would still exist. Okay. Yep. But that's, and that's I want to address, address Lucas's point about programming is hard, right? Programming absolutely is hard. Writing code that does the actual business purpose of what you're trying to do is super hard. The logic, it's incredibly difficult. It just sucks that on top of having to do that already difficult task, we have to throw on another extremely difficult task, and that is understand all of the wrappers and pieces that need to be in place in order to put this thing together. 
And that's what I want to push back on, Joe. What do I need to understand? Do I really need? I didn't. I don't have to really know System JS until I'm thinking about production. Oh no, you absolutely do. I don't. I write. I write thousands. Well, hundreds. Hundreds of apps. And I don't have to mess with System.js until I start thinking about production. Just the only don't. time you don't have to think about it is if you were to use the CLI. And let me put this in context. I don't use the, the CLI. CLI is what it does, CLI. it hands out to you a dumpster. Who <laughs> <laughs> cares, Joe? I mean, I, gasoline is a dumpster. 80-year-old TNT boxes that are bleeding nitroglycerin, and it hands oh, it to you okay. and says, it's perfect, just don't shake it. NG2 new or NG new dumpster. I love it. Um, so, so here's the question then, because I think I generally agree with both of you to a certain degree. I, I don't completely agree with either of you, but, um, Neither to war- okay. So towards <laughs> point though, the thing is, is that I don't have to understand system JS as long as I play inside the safe lines. Okay. You do. So you do no, here's, the, so here's that. the deal, right? So if I use Angular CLI or if I follow some directions and copy and paste some code off the Internet, as long as my use case matches up with what I have there, I don't have to understand what System.js is doing to me. All I have to understand is that if I follow these steps, it's going to work. But the second I move out of those lines, then I have to understand what System.js is doing. And if I don't understand why those boundaries are there and I step over them, then I'm in for pain. And so I think there's a place here where, yeah, to some degree, I don't really have to care about what System.js is doing. But also, there are probably going to be some use cases for me that are different from the person who's telling me how to use System.js. And so I'm going to have to understand to some degree what's going on there when I start moving beyond those boundaries. I just found that to be true in every platform I've ever worked in. You, and the question is, how big are the initial lines? How long can I color inside right. the lines and be successful? But the, uh, but as soon as you cross those things, you're into mystery land. That's been true in every platform so I've ever been. Yep. And yeah, but this mystery land is so much bigger. That's the problem. Is it's, it's just much bigger. There isn't a gentle. I can't just spend. All right, I don't want to sure. do something different. But I spend a, a half an hour of learning something new and then get into it. It's not. It's. I like, have it's been so lost in IIS. Weeks and months. <laughs> we spend weeks and months trying to configure IIS, and I'm not picking on Microsoft. It just happens to be the other right. technology. No, you could, you I could know pick technology X and and yeah. and make yeah. that same statement. But the the SQLs, my SQL, you know, databases. You get you color outside the lines. You're getting into lock. You don't know yeah. what you're doing. The lines you're talking about All right, are hang a lot on. Lucas, what are you trying to say? Lines. Lucas, go ahead. The point I want to make is you do not have to understand a tool at the atomic level to use it. For instance, it, the Angular class Webpack starter. I pulled that down, and it spun up. It worked, and I was able to start writing Angular 2 within that starter project without understanding exactly. what and the interesting thing, which I think is super rich here, is once I started to want to do something in Webpack, so I'd already been effective, I didn't understand Webpack, it was just there, and it was supporting me, and I said, well, okay, what's going on here? I would like to learn a little bit more about Webpack. You know what I did? I got on Pluralsight, and I watched a Webpack course by none other than Joe Eames, <laughs> the irony. Yes, the, dump, the dumpster <laughs> man. Yes, I mean, the dumpster man himself is, like, that's how I learned Webpack, is by watching a Pluralsight course on, on Webpack from, from Joe. And But I'd already been using it for months. It's only when I got outside of those high-level, coarse-grained activities, and I wanted to get into some very specific things, that I said, okay, I need to invest into this skill or this tool so I can have a higher resolution, a better picture of what's going on, and I went and did that. So, by the way, can I buy onto that, Lucas? Because that yep. you're making a great point. And the thing that I would add to that is that you had already felt value from the platform Months. before you got to that point, and so Absolutely. you knew that the investment in learning what you needed to know was going to pay off because you had had so much value before. The challenge for a guy who's writing that email is that he's trying to understand everything before he's gotten value from anything. And and that's going to be painful no matter what technology you pick. 
you, I think you're a bad example, Lucas, because you already understand so much stuff. Just like <laughs> Webpack and modules, they're it's just horrid. And get you when you get in in there, I'll bet when you got in and started fiddling around with Webpack, it made a lot a lot more sense to you than it will to most people because you are already such an expert in front end dev. And I will say that you're picking one of the better tools, right? Webpack is one of the better tools that they're all really good tools, but Webpack is actually a lot, a bit more intuitive, especially when you look at the configuration, say, versus a system JS configuration, which is nearly gobbledygook. All right. I'm going to have to push us into picks, but what? I am, I'm curious. No, 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 no. We aren't even, we aren't yeah, even we're not started even. on this. <laughs> Chuck, you can take off. We're going to finish this in about two hours. I'm I totally know, right? <laughs> really. Yeah. I have an anecdote, but. Our, our poor listeners. I mean, I'm just sitting here going, man, we could do this for another hour. How, how they already, they already hung up on us. They already know we're you guys, frauds. Give a hard stop, Chuck. How long have I been recording? We can go another five, at least five more minutes. That's uh, fine. At least five more that's fine. Yeah, we got to do some like summary and wrap up stuff here. I'm not in any hurry. I just don't want this to be an hour and a half show. Uh, I would just Why like, not? Joe, I, I think you make a really good point of highlighting the frustration in the tool set. Like, again, I want to be sensitive to that. It exists and I totally get it. At the same time as I think it's a small price to pay for just the universe that is opened up to us when we learn to you know, leverage these tools even just a little bit. I think I think it's worth it. I think it's absolutely worth it to get into that dumpster and you know head first for the banana peels. They're golden. The stuff that is being built, you know, with this with this dumpster dumpster fire is just incredible. Like, I mean, I the fact that you can take an Angular two app, wrap it in Electron, and now you have like a desktop app. In five minutes, like that's just ridiculous. You, you know what? If you want to be a hobbyist and you don't like this, leave. But if you're going to be expected to do professional development and deliver applications to clients, this is the world you're going to have to get to. So, so the question really has to become: What's the most effective way to get good in this environment? In my view, and I, I want to before we go too far, I want to go back to the guy, this mythical person who wrote this thing. And I want to say I am totally sympathetic. My point would not be to say that you're wrong. My point is to say that that the perspective, uh, Mr. or Mrs. Um, uh, email writer, the perspective that your expectation is not going to serve you well. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying it's not going to serve you well because you your perspective says I have to understand everything before I can do anything, and you're going to fail. And no, you're going to fail on client-side development because it just isn't that way. But if you're willing to suspend understanding about things that I can tell you you don't have to know just yet and follow along, you can have a successful growth path and learn how to program in this environment. And you can learn these other things when you need to know them, and you'll be successful. All right. So I want to do my little summary here, and that is that – I agree with both of you guys, with at least the, the theme of what you're saying. My whole point is I still think it sucks. On the other hand, I really do like the complexity in the front-end development because it pays my freaking bills through Pluralsight. Yeah. <laughs> Every, anybody out there who wants to get into web development, thank you. From the bottom of my heart, if you want to do Angular 2, thank you because you're going to have to watch 10 of my courses so oh, that you can no. really understand what's going on. And I'm going to go you buy a boat. All. Uh, Angular, the current modern-day front-end web development is going to buy me a boat. (laughs) (laughs) So the gist of that is Joe needs a new pool. Learn Angular 2. Learn Angular 2. Yeah. I didn't say a pool. These are expensive. A boat, maybe. Buy Joe a pool. I know where he lives, so (laughs) I'll invite myself over. His kids need shoes. Learn Angular 2. Those kids need shoes. Please learn Angular 2. Yep. No, um, I do want to say that the tools that have been put out are amazing and done by amazing people. And I said this a couple of times before, but, but there there could not be enough props given to the people that are spending their time on Webpack and Angular 2 and System.js and TypeScript, especially the people that are doing it without getting paid. Like, this is one of the most amazing things that people have produced these tools. There's all these sharp corners, and they're going around and patting these sharp corners for us. And we owe them all a huge debt of gratitude. It just sucks that we had so many sharp corners to start off with, right? 
and uh, it's 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 a ton. And don't be afraid to get in there and learn because you're just going to have to, right? We're past the days when you could do a little bit of dabbling and get a lot of stuff done. You're just going to have to get in there and learn stuff or have somebody on your team that does. I lament that, but it is the reality of where we are at. Well, I don't think any of us can disagree with that. Wow, we had a fight in a dumpster fire. I'm feeling pretty good about all this. <laughs> Nobody goes out of that looking good or smelling good. <laughs> oh, we all stink. All right, yeah, quick but, time. Yeah, but it, it is so interesting just to dig into this and really have a conversation about it because people are at different places with it. So, mm-hmm. all right. Well, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and do some picks. Ward, do you want to start us with picks? Sure. There's a a book that people are talking about a lot. It's called Chaos Monkey by a guy who sold his, had a startup, sold it, joined Facebook before it went IPO, lived through it, got fired by Facebook. And it is quite the ride if you want. Um, it, and it gives you quite a bit of insight into how uh, startups work how the game is played, how products get developed, the kinds of tensions that exist between competitors within companies and across companies. It may put you off ever doing anything with a, uh, a startup. It's just a fascinating ride, and I, I recommend it. So it's called um, Chaos Monkey, Obscene Fortune and Random Failure in Silicon Valley. Uh, check it out. All right, Lucas, what are your picks? I have two picks. Uh, the first one is I've been hooking in kind of smart devices into my house, and I bought this thing called the Wink Relay Station. And what it does is it replaces your light switch, and then it allows you to actually hook into like a lot of your other devices. So I have an Amazon Echo, um, a Nest camera. I have a garage door opener that's connected and some different things. And I actually just hooked up uh, the Echo B uh, thermostats, and I can actually control all of that from the Wink uh, relay switch. Uh, so it's been really cool, you know, kind of basically hooking uh, my house up and having this thing. It's kind of like the central station to do that. So it's got like an LCD display. It's voice activated. Uh, pretty neat. My second one, I've been in a bit of a quandary about how to do this in the sense that it's a personal conviction. I never use profanity, but I love this book so much. So the compromise I'm going to make is it's by Kathy Sierra and it's about making users awesome. And it's just amazing. So uh, Google that. I'll actually put the link in. It's a great book. I just bought two copies that I'm just going to give away because I love it so much. And I actually got it from Joel Hooks. It's a gift, and it's been uh, probably one of my the best books I've read this year. Awesome. Joe, what are your picks? All right, so this is very topical. I think I'm going to pick learning because you're going to have to do a lot of it. <laughs> I thought it was build your own dumpster no! fire. <laughs> oh. Build your own dumpster fire. Yeah. Learning. Uh, specifically not being afraid, right? So I want to give encouragement out to anybody that's out there that's feeling a little bit of trepidation about the large mass of stuff that I'm selling that you need to understand in order to do modern front-end web development. Not be afraid of it. Just get in. And over time, it just all starts to make more and more sense. So I want to pick that. I also want to pick a statement made by – I'm trying to – it was at the funeral for the Dallas police officers – or it was a statement made shortly after it. And I think it was uh, Clinton, either Clinton or Bush, who said it. But he said something that I don't remember exactly who he said, who it was, but struck me. And it basically is, we often judge other groups by their worst members, yet judge ourselves by our best intentions. Right? And I, that really struck me as uh, something that's definitely important in this day and age, is to not judge other groups by their worst members. And uh, also be a little bit more reasonable about ourselves as well. And my final pick is going to be VidAngel, which is a service. Speaking of uh, not using profanity, I love the ability to watch really great shows. Like I've, I've just been watching John Wick, awesome show, and I could turn off all the F words because you know, I personally don't like to hear. I like to hear that as little as possible. So, so, so what does it do? It intercepts the words and bleeps them out? Yeah, it, you, it actually has a gazillion different filters. You can filter anything from if you don't want to see, if, if you want to watch it with, well, I mean, you would, probably wouldn't want to watch John Wick with your kids, but if you wanted, like, if you don't want the bikinis, the women in bikinis, you, it'll skip past those, right? Anything oh, you I, can, you can pick anything remotely objectionable. And they have all these different filters. You can just say, I don't want this, I don't want that. 
If I uh, listened to, to, to Chris Rock, it would be beep, 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 beep. No, no, no. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is just for movies. It's just for movies. Okay. But yeah, it would. There are a lot of shows like uh, The Wolf of Wall Street. If you took out the F words, yeah. it actually, you know, the show gets shorter, right? So like all of a sudden, minutes. it's like six minutes long. <laughs> I don't know. There were some guys, there was some money, and then all of a sudden it was over. I'm not really yeah. sure what happened. Exactly. Right. But VidAngel, I love it. I think it's an amazing service, and there's. I've heard that they're having some potential legal problems, which is really too bad because, you know, the guys that put all the F words in are really upset that people are trying to take them out. And so they like to sue over that sort of stuff. Yeah, they got Vid Devil, which will just only do the <laughs> that, yeah, oh, there you that go. was actually a, an April Fool's joke by Vid Angel. You can watch just the smut that was taken out. We actually did that as an April Fool's joke, Vid Devil. So anyway, I really like their service. I've watched a lot of shows that I wouldn't normally have watched. And uh uh, there's that's my last pick. Awesome. Just on that same note of the Dallas shooting, uh, one of the things that I found very inspiring was that uh, there were protesters basically on both sides of the street. I'll put a link to this off of CNN. Um, but there were protesters on both sides of the street. One side was Black Lives Matter, and the other was basically the counter group to that. And they were they were all there in like uh, cowboy hats and you know big belt buckles and stuff. And what wound up happening was the the leader of the one group and the leader of the other group met in the middle of the road and started chatting for a minute. And then they hugged it out, and then a whole bunch of people crossed the street, and they were all just hugging and talking. And uh, they invited the police officer who was there to keep the peace to join them in a prayer. And, you know, to your point that, you know, don't let the worst of any group define what the group's about. I mean, this just shows that for for all of the differences that several of these groups have and for all of the things that are being shouted from both sides, we all want, at least to some degree, some of the same things. And we're all people. And it was just really cool to see it all come together and, and see people really just talk about it instead of having these, you know, these horrible exchanges between people who are legitimately worried about things on both sides. So... Um, so I'm going to make that a pick. And then I've got a couple of other picks. I went to Chicago last week for podcast movement, which is a big podcasting conference, as you can imagine, uh, got a lot of great ideas. I'm probably going to be changing some things here over the next uh, few weeks. But, uh, while I was there, one of the things that I did is, uh, I had to run down to the Apple store like three times because my iPhone broke. And so I had to drop it off and then pick it up. And when I picked it up, I actually bought an iPad Pro, and I just love the thing. And I got an Apple Pencil, so I was taking notes by hand during some of the sessions. I was using uh, an app called GoodNotes, and it actually does uh, OCR on your handwriting, and you can do a full text search on your written handwritten notes on your iPad Pro, which is really cool. I also got the smart keyboard, and I really like that as well. It's nice. I got the 9.7-inch iPad Pro, and so when I was on the airplane and stuff, it just it worked really well, and it didn't overload the tray table in front of me, which my lap, laptop did on the way out. So that was also nice. Uh, one other thing I figured out with it was that when I'm at the cafe and I have really bad Internet access, when I try and send or reply, send an email or reply on the Gmail web app, it sits there and it says loading when I tr- when I click the button. But because, um, and I don't know if it's a hybrid app or if it's a, a native app, but the Gmail app on my iPad Pro, I can just type the email because all of that interface is local. So it just loads it up. I type it. I hit send. And then it just has a spinner there until it finally gets it sent. And so I could actually move through my inbox and send those emails and make it all go without a whole lot of trouble with the web interface uh, not loading because it had to talk to the server over a really crappy connection. So, anyway, I, iPad Pro, really love it. Um, and I'll put links to all those things that I mentioned there in the show notes. All right, so one last thing that I want to bring up is the show has a Facebook page, and I really want to uh, get people to support it. Um, it currently has nine likes. I'd like to get that a little bit higher. It's at facebook.com slash adventures in Angular, and adventures in Angular is all one word. So uh, check that out, um, and uh, I'm the automation I had that was posting the episodes there crapped out. I was using Zapier. I don't know what the problem is, but I'm working with their support. 
but I'd also like to start some other conversations and post some other stuff there. So uh, please go like the page and uh, help us uh, get the word out about the show. And with that, I guess we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. Thank you all for coming. We'll catch everyone next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today. 